Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Edition to hear that podcast growling presented by Visa Network, working for everyone. Poehner Jr., Jay Morrison of the Athletic are here working for you as it is draft season. We're in the middle of it. we got a special episode today, um, and I'm, I'm excited about it. It's a little bit different, a little little bit of zig in our draft coverage that normally zags this year. And I'm, I'm, I'm it's an exciting episode, I think, Jay. And you know what? It's one that Jay Morrison fans can be excited about. All about numbers. Math bomb is here. That's right. <laughs> That's right. I'm excited about it. We're kind of we're going to take a little bit of an analytics episode here, and that is taking a look at the draft through a Bengals lens. As always, draft numbers, draft analytics. What numbers matter? What numbers matter to the Bengals? What numbers matter with this draft class in regards to the Bengals' options and positional priorities and top picks and why should that matter to you? Which numbers should you keep an eye on as you track prospects, as you think about, and this team thinks about what direction they should be going to really make the most out of their picks and find the value, find the sleepers. Where do they come from? Where do we go to for that? Uh, bringing in our good friend at Pro Football Focus, their lead draft guy, Mike Renner, who, uh, we recorded this uh, late last week. Uh, their their draft guide is awesome. It is it is out. All their PFF stats are on there, and they there's a lot of a good part of this conversation that I love, where we really talk about translatable stats from what PFF does to what we've consistently seen in the league. And I thought, you know, when you're talking about positions of angles, looking at some good stuff there, and then. That's right, Jay said it. Math Bomb is here. Kent Lee Platty. If you don't know at Math Bomb on Twitter and Kent, uh, I highly recommend you start following because uh, he came up with the relative athletic score, which is a great way to get true athletic profile numbers on all of these picks to compare directly all the way back to everybody selected to 1987. And it's easy to use. It's fantastic. The player cards, you've probably seen them circulate uh, as they do. Um, but I, I found it a great tool um, and a great way to get something beyond, well, he ran a fast 40, right? Or that guy, what what, what does it mean that he had a 4-4-2 four, four, shuttle? Like, what, does, what do all these things mean in totality? And what does it mean to the chances that a guy is going to succeed or finding gems, things like that? So I have Math Bomb on, and we talk about relative athletic score, about how to use it to your advantage. 
And I've talked to, you know, coaches around the league and, and on the Bengals that that see it, that look at it, that use it occasionally. And uh, so f- I was very happy to catch up with him. And uh, he has a fantastic handlebar mustache. A shout out to him on that. You know, the most amazing thing about Kent and and his system is that it's free. You know, the, the, some of these sites, uh, Pro Football Focus and those that – they they have great information, but you have to pay to get a lot of it. And, and his is all out there and free. And you know, I, he, he he mentions it in the conversation that agents even come to him because they use his stuff to in negotiations. And and maybe he should start charging a little bit. But for now, you guys can get all that information for free. R A S Ras dot football right now is his website and i'll follow him at math bomb that's really the best way to see all the cards and uh all the information on all the prospects you'll see them popping up now and certainly throughout draft weekend we'll be referencing a lot in our draft coverage uh so hopefully you you can get a better insight into that as we get to that we're gonna talk about some of our favorite numbers and then we'll have a little draft mailbag uh at the end because so many of you sent in your mock drafts we have our mock draft mailbag is up Jay and I talking about judging the best and worst of your mocking. And some some was great. Some was very interesting. You love Trey McBride. <laughs> this is what we found out. Like we when we were like, what do what is going what is people's expectations? Where are Bengals fans at? Bengals fans want Trey McBride is the number one takeaway because I think every single mock draft in the second round had Trey McBride to the Bengals. Tight end Colorado State. So if he doesn't go to them, uh, people, people just can be disappointed at this point. I think I, I, I'm kind of surprised by it because it. Just, I don't know. It just feels like the the Hayden Hurst signing kind of. It didn't totally kick the the tight end position down the road, but I, I think it bought him some time. I'm I'm not as convinced they're gonna they're gonna hit that position as early as as a lot of the the people that send in mock drafts think they will or hope they will. Yeah, it's it's a wild card, and it would be to me it would be surprising to see them go that aggressive. I thought the Hayden Hurst, and you never want to be pigeonholed, mm. right? I mean, and we, we can get into that a little bit, but I, I just I don't think it's they are looking for a tight end of the future and someone who can be dynamic. But for one year, Hayden Hurst is that, and if he's great here, he's probably going to want to come back next year, and you're probably going to want to keep paying him. The, the bottom line is, yeah, I think you're looking more at developmental down the line, but if Trey McBride's there <laughs> at 63, Bengals fans are thinking one name. It's very clear they're thinking one name. Uh, at least that's the one that they continually put into the mock drafts. Um, we'll get. I want to get into that in a minute, including uh, the other main takeaway. Uh, news, not a ton. Trey Flowers uh, back on a one-year deal. Mitchell Wilcox back on a one-year deal. Bengals continue filling that out. We told you the Flowers thing was gonna was gonna happen. It was just a matter of working out the details. It ended up being one point eight, um, with a little bit like a half mil guaranteed. Um, Aaron Wilson had those numbers first. Um, so standard stuff. Did a good job covering tight ends. Fills in one of the reserve spots there. He can play outside corner as your one of your backups. You know, if he's your if he's your number four outside corner, that's fine. Like he's a guy who started a lot of games. He's got a role for you as the hybrid player covering the tight ends. Trey Flowers, one point eight million, delightful. Yeah, it, it made all the sense in the world. And I, I do think he he probably, after playing well with the Bengals and having that starting history, maybe thought the market would would be more 
attractive for him. And it, you know, it, it just wasn't. And, and that, that it was a Bengals win. They were able to get him back at an affordable price. And he really is a nice depth piece. And you see it, you, not all teams are like the Bengals where the, they're so loaded at wide receiver that the tight end is almost an afterthought. You've got some of these teams with the Darren Wallers and, and whatnot that, that really Kelsey that have great tight ends. And if you can put a guy like Trey flowers on one of those guys, it's, it's a big, big advantage, even though he's your number four outside corner, he becomes one of your most important corners on game day when you're facing a team like that. So it was, it was a really good signing to get him back. God, I mean, look around what your AFC playoff run was and will be. Yeah. This conference has quarterbacks and tight ends. <laughs> so many great ones. And, you know, Mark Andrews and Baltimore, if you think Baltimore is going to be your number one competition in the division, and certainly they stack up to be that way. The Browns, obviously, but I mean, you know what Baltimore has will be. Andrews, then you go over and you're playing the AFC and Kelsey and Waller, you mentioned. I mean, these guys, they're that's who you got to be able to stop. You can't let these guys own you. And you know, they seem to have found something with Flowers there, so good for them. Mitchell Wilcox also back tight end. And, you know, congratulations to him carving out a full-year salary last year, making the team out of nowhere in camp and, and playing well on special teams. And so he's he's back. He'll have to fight to make the team uh, again. But, you know, uh, he's got a good chance to do so after doing it last year and earning Darren Simmons' trust on special teams. Uh, some top 30 visits season is kind of here. Bengals really starting draft meetings this week. You know, everybody's back off the road now. They went to all the pro days they wanted to go to. Everybody that was watching pro days, doing interviews, they're in Zoom interview season. You know, they you're allowed to do multiple Zoom interviews with these guys and keep up, and and they're doing that. So when you hear a lot of things said, oh, Bengals are talking to, yeah, they're talking to everybody. You, with Zooms now, especially, they love to utilize those to as ways to get to know guys. Drop in a 15 minute Zoom here, or 20 half hour, or whatever with a guy, and and keep in touch and treat it kind of like college recruiting. We've done stories about that in the past. That's still the case and add in their pro day stuff. But now over the next really two, three weeks, it's hard ranking, draft strategizing, taking everybody's information, putting it together, and arriving at your final spot. That started in full this week um, as they go all the way in on that. Um, the Beast is out. Uh, if you are wondering what they're talking about or who anybody in this draft is and who anybody that could be a restricted free agent or undrafted free agent, excuse me, is Pick up Dane Brugler's The Beast. You get it uh, just by being an athletic subscriber. It's it's the holy grail of of draft coverage. It's, it's unbelievable. He does it every year, and uh, there's just nothing just nothing like it. Absolutely nothing like it. I mean, that could be his full time job. That one piece that he publishes, and he does, and he does so much more. You would think this would be the time of year he would kick his feet up and exhale after putting that thing out. I can't remember. Last year, I, I did a copy and paste and put it into Word, and it was like 50,000 words. It's just <laughs> insane how deep – and it's not just the, the analytical stuff. It it goes into each player's background, and it, it just – it really gives you a good look at, at every player. And it, it's not something that – I think a lot of people are scared off by the size of it. Like, no way do I have time to read that. But that's not what it's about. It's it's not about going through it start to finish. It's it's going and look if, – if you are someone that likes to do mock drafts and, and going and trying to get the background on some of these guys and you can pick out maybe who you think you would like or who you think would fit the Bengals profile the best. It's just – it's it's an incredible, incredible tool and, and – Highly recommend it. Don't be scared off by the size of it because you can, you can ingest as much or as little of it as you want, and it, it all has value. 
That's just it. The size of it's the best part because you are just picking and choosing and whatever you are interested in in that moment. The, the deep character work is the crazy stuff. I mean, mm. that's just it because that's anybody can grind the tape, right, and and make their opinions, and that's fine. It's the deep character stuff that teams care so much about that really matter when you talk about ranking players that nobody else really gets to and does and is connected as Dane is with this stuff and puts it down pen to paper on um, is really what separates him, uh, in my opinion, from so many others. But it's great stuff and highly recommend it. Rankings is everybody. You, again, you get it with the athletic subscription, which we still have the dollar a month deal going on right now. All right, let's take a second and switch gears here and hear from a sponsor. To go into a topic from the mock draft mailbag. Because um, one, a couple of trends beyond Trey McBride and Punt God uh, that we saw from you guys going after in the obvious of positional needs tends to be that was so many of you had the Bengals trading back to add picks. Understandable thing you'd want to do in an exercise like this. And we had uh, uh, one listener send in the ultimate trade back, nuclear trade back option of just all the way out of everything and ended up with 13 <laughs> picks. Uh, and, you know, I don't know where they're going other than pissing off the backups that are currently <laughs> on the roster. Because <laughs> guess what? About if if nine of those guys that you picked between the second and the fifth round, you have nine picks between the second and the fifth round there, they're not cutting any of those guys. Like, mm-hmm. they just don't. You're not going to cut a fifth round, fourth round, third round pick before they've had a chance to really do anything. They're supplanting some people that went to the AFC Championship with you and that earned spots on that roster. Maybe that's what you want, but I don't feel like that's where the Bengals are at right now to totally end up in some Baker's Dozen situation. However, trading back obviously does make sense. So many of you are were pointing to that. I thought it was a good chance for us to talk about the reality of that, you know, that I think gets misconstrued sometime why teams would and some of the history. Let's, let's start here. People say this, well, the Bengals are at 31 and we say this, I've said this Bengals are 31 this year with these quarterbacks where they're all like in this, they're all, it's everything. Do I have the next Lamar Jackson? Right. Are there five Jordan loves? Right, we guys that will probably would be around at the end of the first. Are they worth that? A second? Do teams want the fifth year option of if he's a developmental guy down the line? What are what what is the reality of that? I mean, there's not a ton of history of teams coming up for these quarterbacks late. There's a couple. And people talk about it so much because they're notable. They were storylines. They still are storylines. Jordan Love, that wasn't the team coming out of the second round. People forget Jordan Love. uh, Green Bay moved up from 30 to 26 for that in 2020. Miami adding a fourth-round pick on that one. And then Lamar Jackson, right? Baltimore coming up to the 32 hole to take Lamar Jackson. But there's a lot of bad quarterbacks that have been selected in the second half of the first round. And not a lot of history of teams coming up. It's not like something that happens every year. Jay, what, what you did? You went through the last five years. Jay's got stats, of course, on this. Um, what, what, what were the takeaways of looking at that? Well, the biggest takeaway I had was that trading back is like a tattoo. 
Because once you do it once, there's just more and more and more. It was almost every one of these teams that I, I looked anybody that would trade it out of 26 to 32 back into the second round and what they got. And almost every single team that, that traded back then went ahead and flipped one of those picks that they got for something else. They either traded back to get even more picks or they, if they would go back to 46, then they would trade up to 42. So it was, it was not a one-time deal. When you, when you trade back, it just tends to kind of be a domino effect where you keep making more trades. And a, another interesting piece of this was there were a couple where the, the trade, the value that you get in return was, was kind of mitigated by, mistakes that were made at that spot for instance in in 2019 the seahawks they they traded number 30 uh to the giants for 37 and 132 and 142 30 ended up being deandre baker for the giants who of course was arrested for armed robbery and released so not necessarily not saying the seahawks would have taken him but they dodged a bit of a bullet there uh, same thing in 2017, Seattle traded 31 for 34 and 111, and 31 became Reuben Foster, who also has had his legal issues in the league. So that, that was another interesting part of it that, that stood out. But the, the more interesting thing that I thought was how many of them don't just do it once. I, I only found one, and it was Green Bay trading the 29 pick to Cleveland. And Cleveland took Njoku, the tight end, and and Green Bay got 33 and 108, and they kept both those picks. That was the only team in the in the last five years that traded back out of the last five six picks of the first round to get extra picks that actually kept those extra picks that they get. So many more of them flip it for, like I said, either to go back even further and get extra picks, or then come back up in the in the second round if there's somebody that is is really there or someone that they really like is still there. Um, but there, there was a number of instances in, in 2019, the Rams did it. Um, the, the Seahawks did it and the Colts did it. The Colts traded 26 for 34 and 46. Um, the Rams traded 31 and 203 for 45 and 79. And then they went crazy. They traded 45 for 56 and 101. And then they traded both 56 and 101. And that one was just too hard to keep up with. That was just a massive <laughs> amount of trades. Um, in 2018, that the famous one you mentioned where the Eagles traded 32 and, and 132 to the Ravens. So the Ravens could get Lamar Jackson and they got 52 and 125. And then this one, this was a, an outlier here because they also got a number 53 the following year in 2019. That was the only one I saw where they, they got a future draft pick as well as the ones in the current year. Um, in 2017, uh, Seattle, they did this a lot. They traded out of 26 uh, for 31 and 95. And then they ended up trading 31, as I mentioned, Reuben Foster for 34 and 111. So it's... It, most of the cases, it was trading that late first round pick for for a a little bit further back in the second round and then a third or a fourth. I think we had one mock draft that someone submitted where they traded back and, and they traded they paired 31 and something else and ended up getting two extra second round picks, which I think would hit the Bengals really well. You end up with three second round picks. Um, that's, that's a great start. Again, you don't want to get to the point where you've got thir- a 13 person draft class. 
um, that this person still ended up with a seven person draft class, but three of those seven came in the second round. Yeah, I mean, if you could find some way to make that happen, that would be ideal. But the chances, you know, that's that's a hard thing to swindle. I don't know how realistic that is. You know, you mentioned. I think the Lamar move is really the most is what we're talking about here, because because you're talking about teams that want the quarterback are a little are are willing to do things that are a little bit more desperate. I just, I I wonder. It, it, last year there wasn't a single. Not granted, there weren't any quarterbacks in that range, but last year there wasn't a single trade back. Mm-hmm. You know, you had the only trades that happened with the back with the backs five or six picks, seven picks in, in the first round were player trades, and they happened earlier, way before the draft. Orlando Brown trade happened a week before the draft, and KC got out of thirty one t- to bring him on uh, when the Ravens knew that they were trying to get rid of him and. 2020, I mean, you really just had love, the love thing, and and that wasn't even a, a second round up to the first. And that was just kind of maneuvering in the back of the first round. And again, you mentioned it, that was an added fourth round pick. You know, a couple teams moved up. Uh, San Francisco moved up from 31 to 25 to get Brandon Ayuk in 2020. That was the year where they had all the receivers. Mm-hmm. Um, and they loved Ayuk, and he had slipped there, and they moved up to get him. Minnesota got a fourth and a sixth. You know, I think the reality is the Bengals aren't going to want to move too far back. If you look at the same strategy that they have employed in the second round, what they've done over and over again for the last five years, where they move back, it's 10, 10 slots is as comfortable as they are. And I think when you're up this high, I think that's less. Mm-hmm. I think your tiers are more acute. I think you know it, you have four or five names pinpointed uh, that are at a certain level. Maybe less, you know, where, you know, you're not willing to go as far. Maybe you do, like Jay said, and like Seattle has mastered, just incrementally back. Okay, go back to here and see what's there. Okay, go back to here and see what's there. Uh, Because we do see, one thing we do see a lot of, our teams trading up into the top of the second round. We see, as people have a whole day to read... Mm -hmm to figure it out and talk, you see a lot of maneuvering in those first five to ten picks. That's where it's been madness, and the Bengals have been in the middle of that the last few years, uh, where it's lots of people coming up, moving back, and having the whole day to work on it. So whether it's an incremental move is interesting. One thing that a lot of people sent in was having Jacksonville go up two spots to 31 and adding picks for that. I don't understand why Jacksonville would do that outside of trying to get some kind of fifth-year option. It's a weird thing. I don't – I mean, if the Bengals could actually get something for that, I'm sure that they would do it. I don't know what Jacksonville's motivation would would be on that. Or Jacksonville and the, they think the Lions are hunting the same player that they are. An interesting thing that's been talked about is when we talk about fifth-year options – is maybe teams would come up for fifth-year options on receivers when you look at what has happened to the receiver market. Now receivers are making 25, 30 mil. What's that going to look like in five years? Is that only going to go up more? I, I want to do a refresher on fifth-year option because people are probably like, man, you guys talk about that a lot. We're talking about a lot right here. Fifth-year option, it, it comes in four tiers right now of what you would pay a player 
and you have to decide before their fourth season if you're going to pick up their option on the fifth season. So right now they're in a decision mode on Jonah Williams, uh, whether they're going to add a year for 2023 on him. That cost depends on their level of play. Now, the new CBA has that level of play of the lowest level. Uh, it's just a basic, you picked them low level. Then there's a playtime bonus level that's a second tier up. Then there's they've made one Pro Bowl level that's a, the equal to the transition tag, which is a pretty big number. Um, and then if they've made more than one Pro Bowl, you're paying a franchise tag, which is a big, which is a really big number. For instance, if we're talking about the projected 2023 tiers for let's say receiver um you would be looking at this is projected from over the cap the lowest at 12.4 million the second tier of playtime at 13.4 then you get the transition at 16.7 and a franchise tag multiple pro bowl number at 18.4 that number will be much higher when jamar chase is in that mix you know because the the, these numbers are dependent on the overall number and those are going to go up right you're still probably getting a discount there's a chance they could only have been to one pro bowl or maybe no pro bowls but you're, you're getting a discount and you're getting team control time but you know I don't know that it's as big of an advantage when you start talking about quarterbacks because if the guy's great, turns out to be great, that fifth-year option is just a troubling spot. You end up in this Baker Mayfield situation if he's okay. I mean, We just haven't seen a lot of times. Lamar might be the only example, and it's only because he's refusing to talk to the Ravens. It's a really weird wormhole to get into of why teams would or would not be motivated to have it. I don't think it's as big of a motivator as a lot of us are making it out to be. No, I think that the Jordan Love was situation is the one where it really kind of comes into play because you, the plan all along was for him to be a succession plan for Aaron Rodgers. And so he's not going to play for a year or two. And then, you, so really, you're only going to have two years to see him, um, really one before you got to make the decision. And that's where I think it comes into play where if you're thinking, do, in most cases, you know, after having a guy for three years, whether he's somebody you want to extend or not, not always, you know, I think there's still some questions right now, whether the Bengals are going to fifth year um, Jonah Williams or not. But in most cases, it's, it's, it's something that you already know. And it's a dangerous thing to flirt with because especially what you talked about with receivers, they're uh, guys like chase are, are going to establish themselves. And if, if that, you, you see how contentious, I don't know contentious is the right word, but just how difficult the Jesse Bates situation has been. I know a second round, totally different thing there. But when you talk about fifth year options, almost kind of like the franchise tag and, and you're, it's that versus a long term contract and it, it creates hard feelings and it really kind of cracks the door open for for holdouts and just disruptive springs. And so it is I don't I don't think the. Let's trade up into the first round so we can have the fifth-year option on this guy. It, it might be a thought process when you do it, but rarely does does it play out the way that, that you were thinking or planning for it to. And maybe, like we said in the beginning, maybe there, there are four or five Jordan Loves in this draft. I, I don't mm-hmm. – what happens with quarterbacks is always very confusing because 
just when you think a guy is supposed to go 20 in the late 20s, because that's what big draft industry complex has decided, teams go ahead of that. You know, next thing you know, I mean, people thought at one point Patrick Mahomes was going to go in the mid to late 20s, and he ends up, you know, the Kansas City comes all the way up to 10. It's just, it changes. Uh, It's never necessarily what you think. And then sometimes a guy that people say, oh, yeah, early second, late first, it's, it's the fourth round until he goes or something. I mean, it's just... Quarterbacks, man, if people don't think they can, don't see it, don't think that guy can be a guy, you know, they either go for it or they don't. Mm-hmm. And team, and so the idea that it's definitely going to happen because you're sitting at 31 and people want to get that, I, I don't know that that's how it's going to work. Um, teams behind them that could, that you could see moving up. Now, this obviously can change as there's going to be lots of action in the first round, but, you know, Houston is interesting at 37. I I wrote in the mock draft now, like I never understand what the hell they're doing. So it's hard to know what Houston's going to try to do. I mean, are they, I guess they're sticking with David. I mean, I don't, Davis Mills is their guy. I, I don't, they don't seem to have anybody else, but also what, what are they even doing? So at 37, maybe they're coming up. Uh, the Jets, are, you know, so 33, the Jacksonville, nope. 34 Detroit, obviously in the business, but they have a pick at 32 mm. and at 34. Um, the Jets, no. The Giants should be, uh, but I don't know that they're coming up. Maybe they are. They haven't certainly I, – I certainly wouldn't – they haven't given that idea off that that's something that they're talking about doing. The Jets, no. Chicago, no. They just took Justin Fields. 40-41, Seattle with two picks. Seattle obviously in the needy quarterback business. Seattle loves trading back. <laughs> they don't like coming up. Jay just went through that. So the idea of Seattle coming up would certainly be different for them. But if you need a quarterback, you're doing a lot of things that are different from you. That's about, for me, as far back as I think the Bengals would go on an initial trade. You know, Indianapolis at 42, maybe they'd go there. You're you're going like eleven spots. Atlanta at forty three. I mean, there's that group, right? Seattle, Seattle, Indy, Atlanta. That's going to have interest. That's a long way to go back, um, and you'd be thinking you'd be getting a, a decent amount in return there. So you wonder if that's the spot where it comes from. That's it. That to me is the limit. I mean, that is really stretching it. Yeah, but it, the the whole idea of this where you pair it with an aging quarterback who you think is is going to retire or move on at some point and you you want the young guy is that what I said before this is succession plan you don't really have that a lot of those old guys have retired now you know Ben's out and Philip Rivers a couple of years ago the the one remaining is Brady and you look where they're picking no way Tampa Bay's coming all the way up to the first round nobody the Bengals aren't going all the way back to where Tampa Bay would pick um you you mentioned the Lamar trade that it was interesting that the Eagles went from 32 to 52 on that. They went back 20 spots. Um, I, I don't think the Bengals would go back that far. And and the Eagles, by the way, ended up taking 52 and, and pairing it with a, a fourth-round pick and moving back up in the second round to take Dallas Goddard. I think they even realized that going back 20 was probably too far and, and had to give up an extra asset to come back up. So, yeah, I just – I'm with you. I, I I can't see the Bengals going back more than 10 or a dozen picks. And um, who, who knows? Who knows who is it? Not necessarily a team looking for a quarterback to move up into that 31 spot. Um, 
that's just the the one that kind of sticks out because of what we've seen recently. But it'll be interesting. I I, I think we could tell by the mock drafts. A lot of, of Bengal fans would be in favor of that. And the Bengals have certainly showed a penchant for it's more the second round trade back is more their go to move. But it, it'll be interesting to see what what happens, what's sitting on the board there at, at 31 on that Thursday night when the draft opens and, and what offers are coming in. I I don't know. Where would you put it right now for a trade back? It's hard to tell when you don't know what the board looks like when they're there. But I, I don't I'd put it in the 60 40 range. 60 don't 40 do. I, I think there's a pretty good chance we see it happen. But again, you, you really don't know until you see what is still on the board. I would put a trade percentage chance of a trade out of 31 at 20 nope 18.6% wow. way below me <laughs> I think 18.6% chance that they tra- I, I just I go back to the T Higgins year and we talked about them obviously wanting to trade out of 33 having a day to work deals how much they love it. And it's the only year that they haven't done it in the last five <laughs> in the second round because T Higgins was sitting there and they had a ton of, and calls. I just think there's going to be really good players sitting there at 31, uh, worth taking. And how many of them there are, I, I don't know. I, I don't know, but I, I, I don't, I still, th- I think it's more likely they just play it calm and sit there and make their pick. Yeah. I mean, again, you never know what happened. Maybe the three top guys on their board go 28, 29, 30, and then maybe they rethink it or they get an offer they can't refuse from another team. You, you don't know until you actually get there. But I, I don't, I don't think it's the long shot that, that maybe a lot of people think it is. I, I, I think there's a, a decent chance we see it happen, and which, of course, would mean we would sit there all day Thursday for no reason and then just turn around and come back Friday and wait for a pick. Yeah, but then yeah, you're, you're right. I mean, the idea of adding a third somehow, I mean, adding another day two pick, mm. if they could find some way to pull that off and still basically get the same caliber of player is the ideal, is the ideal scenario. I think we're all in agreement with that. I just think the chances of it happening – I. I I just don't think they're as likely that the you're going to see a big run on receivers happening at the end of the first. Uh, there's so many of those guys that are ranked between like 15 and 30, and you're going to see what everybody wondering what's happening with these quarterbacks. How much movement will that inspire is a really big question. That's going to probably determine whether the Bengals sit tight or get an offer they can't refuse. Mm. And who's left on their board, because guess what they're not looking for? Quarterback in the first round, <laughs> quarterbacks and receivers. So the more they go in front of them, the more they love it. The more guys that do slide to them. So, and we'll get that's a mailbag question for later on. All right, let's just take a quick break. Great chance to bring in our, our good friend of the program, uh, Mike Renner, former the Bachelorette contestant in Becca's season, for those of you that follow closely, um, which, of course, I have to bring up every time he comes on. Uh, so we, we have that and many, many more good nuggets from Mike, as always, uh, from Pro Football Focus. Does a great job. Again, we recorded this earlier in the week. Happy opening day to everybody. While you're listening to me and Mike talk from our pre-recorded conversation, me and him might be actually sharing a beer down at the bank. So uh, <laughs> here's uh, my conversation with Mike Renner. Mike, what's going on? Hey, Paul. Thanks for having me back on here. I know we've uh, 
done some pods in the past back back then it was in person though it it was and we could do that in person i can come down to the banks right now and you know we can we can hang out we could do it at the holy grail i'm fine with that i was actually. gonna say let's, we do it, let's do it at the holy grail on tuesday that'll be perfect yeah it'd be real it'll be, it'll be great audio no background noise at all uh <laughs> let's um you know you're you're the pff draft guide is 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 out versions are updating as we speak mm-hmm. i mean you guys are on uh uh, version four, another version coming. It's it's awesome. I highly recommend anybody be an edge, be an elite subscriber. I got one thing that I love the most about about your draft guide, and it's there's a lot of what you've done, but the link to the table of contents on every page is just it's so perfect because it's just so easy to go back and forth from the top and and figure and find a specific guy that you're looking for. I, I love that. So shout out to the developers. Oh, yeah, that and the content's pretty good, too. Yeah. So that was one thing that this year I was like, if it's going to be a PDF, first off, I didn't want it to be a PDF. Like I'm like, give me some IT resources to put this online. And they're like, no, you're you're on your own here. So I'm like, so it's going to be a PDF. I at least need to make it so we can find these guys and get to them quickly. And that, that was one thing I had to have in the draft guide because if you don't have that, it's unusable. You know, like if you're doing control F, which most you know, most people will probably consume you don't even know about control F these days, that <laughs> then it's borderline just a, a grind to get through. Well, I, I, I love that aspect. Also, I, I have this written down, so I have to make sure I point out that in your bio, it, it really should say that you're a top five graded wide receiver in the history of The Bachelorette, I believe. <laughs> I, I, do you have like a slow motion video of your touchdown from uh, from your season that you were on The Bachelorette? Do you, do you keep that in the archives? Does it get pulled I, out at, by the PFF offices? I actually do. I have a couple of the highlights from <laughs> when they showed me in that. And I honestly, if it would have been reviewed, if they would have reviewed that play, the ball did move. The ball moved a little uh, when I when I hit the ground. So maybe by new NFL rules, it's a catch. But I think yeah. at the time they hadn't yeah. switched over to that. So I think technically, glad there wasn't a good camera angle where they could overturn it. Now you were on Becca's season, right? right. Uh, now you uh, did you do you, have you ever producers ever given you full unedited copy of the football game just to go back through and maybe maybe have uh, you know some some of your people review and totally grade everyone. No, I'm pissed, honestly, that they didn't because I had a pick in that game that was legitimately better than the touchdown I had. I had a one-handed interception, and I was guarding the guy one-on-one, Chris Don, who's a professional dunker. So I'm guarding this like six-foot-four <laughs> professional dunker, and I one-handed picked it right over the top of him. And it was probably the most athletic thing I've done in my entire life, and they didn't show it on the broadcast. So I need that footage. Unbelievable! What a brutal beat for you. You got yeah. you got to feel like coming out. At least you're going to have that out of this show. You know, I know. you may not get the girl, but you've got the one-handed <laughs> pick on national TV, and they don't even give you that. They must brutal. not have had the angle. That hurts That'd to be. say. Uh, let's. Let, I want to dive into a, a couple of things. One, as a general. That's specific to you guys because you guys do it better and and more di- and differently than anybody else does with all the grading that you guys have on both the professional and college level and the and the deep, you know, the raw data and things. What is one PFF stat or or grade at an individual position that you think is proven to be to most correlate to NFL success? I think it's pass rushing grade and. If you combine basically your ability to rush the passer and how frequently you do that at the collegiate level with your athleticism, you have a pretty good, you got a pretty good starting point. Like there have not been a lot of guys in our now eight years of doing this that have graded out at a high level as pass rushers and been athletic that then go to the NFL and fail. So 
when we see guys like Aiden Hutchinson, when we see guys like George Karloftis in this draft class, we're going to be high on them because they graded out really well at the collegiate level. They've tested and had this physical profile that is at a high enough level to succeed at the NFL. When that's the case, like you just have a high floor. So that's one position that we've seen year in, year out, have consistent success in our grading. And, and I do think the NFL is good at evaluating it too. Like there's not a, it's one of the positions that does go highly. And you don't see a ton of bus set compared to others, but it is one that I think is very predictive in our metrics. Is there one on offense, um, you know, that's that's similar in that way, or is it, or yeah. is just the nature of offense make it harder? The, the it does make it harder. I think once you know your you limit the one on one interactions, it gets more difficult when you're relying on other people for your success. So that's why I do think the one I was going to highlight in offense is another position where you have a lot of one-on-one interactions, and that's broken tackles. Uh, we've seen that guys who break tackles at the collegiate level can do so at the NFL level as well. And now that may not necessarily mean they're going to be productive running backs because obviously there's more that goes into breaking tackles than just, or there's more that goes into playing the running back position than just breaking tackles. But it is one thing that if a guy breaks it at a high level, we highlighted Javante Williams last year as our RB1 in that class. If he does it in college, he's going to do it in the NFL. And oh yeah, Javante Williams also you know led the NFL as soon as you get there in terms of broken tackle rate this past season. Broken tackle rate would that be would elusivity show itself up there in the same way or is that different? I guess it's how you want to define elusivity. To yeah. me, I think they go hand in hand. Break break yeah. tackles elusive. It's like tough to bring down. But I mean, yeah. some people define elusiveness as like actual shiftiness or like toughness in terms of like touching a guy uh, at all, which isn't quite broken tackle. So that can be a little bit different, but yeah, I think that's a good barometer broken tackles for elusiveness. Yeah. Um, a couple of guys bang. This is Bengals related kind of target zones here for this draft. You know, one um, I want to start here, even though I don't, I don't know if this will be their target now after free agency, but it's, it's important to continue to talk with the offensive line, particularly center, you know, Ted Karras comes in, he's plotted a center, but obviously very easily could move to left guard. And you have a prominent center here that is, Kind of a divisive prospect. Not for you, though. Uh, you guys have Tyler Linderbaum as you called him the best center prospect since you guys have been grading college, which would be better than Frank Ragnow, who Bengals fans still wring their hands mm. over missing by one pick instead of taking Billy Price a few years ago. What it was about those grades that 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 made you guys so high on Linderbaum and and where do you see you know is there any concern about it that tra- his translating to the NFL where with big nose guards over him and things like that there certainly is concern whenever there's a guy who's a physical outlier and I would call Linderbaum that in terms of his size in terms of his frame I think he has 31 inch arms like he's going to be you know bottom 10 to 20th percentile in terms of any size metric that you want but athletically now he didn't test pre-draft but athletically no concerns about that. And the thing I keep going back to with him um, is the fact that he was in 20, I guess that's 2019 now, a redshirt sophomore, I guess, no, redshirt freshman, 260 pounds playing center, grading out as a top 10 center in college football at 260 pounds. So he had, he already has played with this insane physical deficiency. Like, I don't care what you are, 260 pounds, you are giving up 40 plus pounds to every nose tackle you're going at. So he's played with that physical deficiency already and graded out exceedingly well. So this isn't a Garrett Bradbury situation, which is the popular comp for him in terms of the low end projection of what he could be at the NFL when, you know, he doesn't have the physical advantage or when he is, you know, sort of 
going up against bigger nose tackles as a smaller guy and could struggle. Garrett Bradbury didn't grade out well until his senior year at NC State, whereas Tyler Linderbaum, anytime he's seen the field, didn't matter how big he was, how strong he was, he was grading out well. So that's why I keep going back to with him and why I think he's the top center. And Ragnar was the previous sort of record holder for that. He was our previous highest graded center coming into uh, the NFL draft. And that correlated. And there were questions about Ragnar before that. And you guys, I remember, I remember specifically sitting in your guys' offices over there and, and people talking about, well, look, I, the grades are the grades. Like this guy is just not losing. And that's yeah. what everyone should focus on. And as he's gone to Detroit, that's proven out. And I think if he, it's, he, he's a very interesting name. If he does end up still being on the board at 31 for Cincinnati, just because will they tolerate, particularly in this division, uh, having somebody, but they run the yeah. wide zone, right? Like, mm-hmm. I mean, it's not yeah. like they're out there trying to, you know, be just nothing but power or pin and pull. I mean, they're, they're trying to get out there in space. So it seems like he would be a great fit for any wide zone team. Yes. That's what he did at Iowa. Uh, they're one of the outside zone heaviest teams in college football. That's what he's tailor-made for. That's why he looks so good and graded out so well in that scheme. And that is, like you said, that's the Bengals' bread and butter. They're, they're not going to change away from that anytime soon. And, and so, obviously, when you are going to be, that's who you're going to be. You better draft guys for that scheme. You can't just say, oh, you know, let's draft this guard uh, who looks like a monster on tape, but, you know, runs a 5 4 40 who's not going to be able to get out in the move to save his life. So, you, you got to get guys for that scheme. And Linderbaum is perfect for that scheme. Um, corners are number one priority. Uh, and at 31, they're not going to get out of the top tier, the big three. In this yeah. one, so amongst those other guys, though, I mean, what are the warts and what are what are kind of the grades show? Because one in particular is is Kyer Elam. You know, you guys have him graded his worst year last year at sixty one point eight. You still have him at twenty ninth on your big board, but I mean, it, what about the grades concern you? Do you see that as descending player, or what? Do you, or do you as their reasoning that you feel like is easy to pinpoint and and, and move past? The biggest reason for the massive step back penalties. I think he committed almost a penalty a game this past season, which I don't care who you are. You're committing one penalty a game. That's going to not bode well for your defense. It's too many. Uh, even if, you know, allowing yards is probably more what you focus on for projection purposes, the penalties themselves grading wise, like those can come and go. So that's why he grades out poorly and why he can still be higher in our draft board, despite that. So the thing with Elam, though, is versatility. I, I don't think he is particularly versatile. If he's not at the line of scrimmage, getting his hands on guys, he's not a particularly impressive cornerback. And obviously, with the Bengals and all they do and the versatility that we've seen from them, I'm not sure he's a great fit. Like That's why they prioritize Cheeto Bay over William Jackson, because Cheeto is far more versatile type of cornerback, and they run a lot of different stuff defensively in Luana Rumo's defense. So I, I do think that a guy like him, they might be lower on than some other corners in this class just because he is probably limited in the schemes he's going to be able to run at the next level. But but I will also say sometimes guys like that, like sometimes maybe Lou Anarumo wants to do something. Maybe he wants to do something where he has a guy who is a press specialist and wants to deploy that in the defense. So you never really know. Uh, but I do think that just from what I've seen from the Bengals defense in years past, that it probably wouldn't be a guy they'd be high on. Fair to say Booth will be the opposite of that then. I mean, a guy who can do everything. He's really, that's kind of part of his selling point is that he can do absolutely everything, press, man, zone, whatever. Yeah, that's the guy who you're probably going to keep coming back to with the Bengals is Andrew Booth. He's truthfully, like I said, all around skill set, all around physical profile, just kind of a do-it-all corner with tremendous ball skills. And that's, 
like I said, he's he's very, I don't want to say similar to Cheeto Bayouzi, but he has that same kind of mold of corner. And that's obviously the Bengals would not paid a guy like Cheeto. They'd probably go out and draft a guy like Andrew Booth. Now taking Clemson guys in the second round has been they're they're one and one like they got Carmen and they got Higgins so that they need somebody to come break the tie I think if they were uh, they would be thrilled and that's not the second round but it's close enough at thirty one that they would be thrilled to go ahead and land Andrew Booth and just keep on this Clemson run oh yeah I I still believe though in Jax Carmen yeah I, I still believe uh, but I, I was fairly high actually I think he was picked at the exact point he was on the PFF draft board so uh, I still think he can be a good guard but. It was always a curious fit from a schematic standpoint because he's kind of the guy I warned about. Like he wasn't an outside zone type of player. He's a phone booth guy through and through. And they're asking him to get out and play on the move. And it's it's not a great fit in that regard. Um one more corner I want to ask you about is is Kyler Gordon at, at Washington. You got you have back at 60. Yeah, 87.2 grade for you let grade for you guys last year. I mean is is that more where you think he could go all the way back there? Because then you see some people have first round grades on him. He seems to be all over the map uh, by different people. Why do you guys not maybe like him as much? I think he's just rough around the edges. And some of that's because last year he played outside and inside. He played like half the season from the slot, half the season from the outside. And whenever you're moving a guy around, it's just difficult to look, you know, solid compared to when you're, you know, sauce gardener and you get to do one role every single play for the, your entire college career. So it's just a different sort of projection, but I do think, uh, he doesn't have quite the long speed. Uh, and obviously that showed up in the 40, he's an explosive player in sort of short area. I think he could be a great slot corner in the NFL, but I'm not sure he's your lockdown outside type of corner, but another guy who I just mentioned with the versatility, that's another thing that again, the Bengals would probably covet at the cornerback position. So I could see him being the pick at 31 as well. Um, any shot in hell Devontae Wyatt falls down draft boards? No, not no. not with athleticism, <laughs> not with this defensive tackle class after the top. Right. Like, it's it's him, and then you're just like, to me, Bengals looking for a three technique to play along with B.J. Hill. I mean, it's funny. You actually had shades of Larry Joby on his profile here, and it's like, well, that's who they're looking for. There's yeah. just – it's one of those things where, yeah, unfortunately, you played in the Super Bowl last year, and you're not going to get that guy to, to fall down to you. But that it, he would obviously be the ideal if they for that spot they were looking to fill. What beyond him? I mean, when you're, you're now parsing through guys with warts – Three technique guy that can that can stand there and, and play a, a first year with Hill, who 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 stands out? There's not a lot of great three techniques. After uh, I will say the guy that probably stands out as like a true three technique would be Logan Hall from Houston, but even he's more like a second rounder. Uh, so maybe back end of the second, I would say the one interesting name to me though would be if you are looking first round. Um, is Travis Jones from UConn because massive dude, 325 pounds, but he actually played more three technique than nose tackle at UConn. And, and so like his production on tape, you're watching him and like his pass rush, like he can get after in that regard is all coming from the three technique. And now obviously not quite the ideal body type that you usually look for in a three technique, but you look at his combine numbers, like if he was a 300 pounder, you would say that's plus athleticism for a three technique, but he's 325 pounds. So He's a guy where maybe you ask him to drop 10 pounds and like a Kenny Clark is situation where you, then you have just a versatile guy who can play the nose, play the three technique and just get after it. So uh, I think that's a guy who really rose up draft boards after the senior bowl, rose up draft boards after the combine. And now, you know, working his way into a first round conversation, because again, goes back to the, there's not a lot of defensive tackles in this draft class. And so if you want one, if you're waiting to pick 60, I guess, what is that? 62 at the back end of the second round, 
they might all be gone. You might have five off the board and there might not be a single guy you want plugging into your defense. So if you're going to have, if you're going to want one, they might get pushed up draft boards. Uh, give me a, who are the grades, your guys' grades and, and yourself, who, who are you feel like you're higher on than, than most uh, throw, throw quarterbacks out. Cause Joe Bro yeah, doesn't yeah. need to hear that conversation. What, <laughs> but, uh, wh- wh- who are you guys higher on than, than most? There's a few guys I would say kind of the grading and then mixed with the athleticism have really identified as, you know, guys who have high floors and one's Bernard Ryman, the central Michigan offensive tackle. And it's not just, you know, he graded out well against a low level of competition, but he also played Missouri last year. And he also played LSU last year, he played two sec schools and graded out exceptionally well against two sec schools. So, you know, if you project that grade that he did, uh, against those two SEC schools over the course of an entire season, he would have graded out a similar level to someone like an Evan Neal, who's getting talked about as this top five, you know, maybe number one overall type of pick guy. And he goes to the combine and tests out like a top five sort of number one overall pick guy in the numbers he put up in Indy. And he's a freak athlete, a weird projection in that he's 24 years old. He was in the Austrian army. He has all this like weird background, came over to the U.S. as an exchange student, played one year high school football. That's how he ends up at Central Michigan. Um and has started at tight end, only played tackle for two years, and was the second highest grade offensive lineman in college football last year by our grade. So a lot of interesting stuff to his profile, but from talking to Paul Alexander, his guy who's coached him up uh, over the course of his career at Central Michigan, he says no one he's ever coached has put coaching into action as quickly as Bernard Ryman has. And so, yeah, he's old. Yeah, it's a weird sort of profile, but uh, I'll believe in the grades and I'll believe in that uh, translating to the next level, especially when a guy's a freak athlete like Ryman is. Front of the program, Paul Alexander, always good yeah. to hear his name. Uh, uh, let's go the opposite guy who the grades and you guys are maybe lower on than a lot of the, the most are because of kind of what you guys have seen in some of your, you know, your numbers. That's a, that's a tough one. I, I never like to really trash people and, and say they're not going to be good, but I'm trying to look through right now and just see someone that I think the one that, has really stood out to me that I get why he's getting some hype because he's a good athlete, but Christian Harris, the Alabama linebacker. And now the first round hypes kind of died on him, but he's a guy that I just, you see him get lost in coverage a ton um, on his tape at Alabama and Alabama tapes very projectable in the NFL. You're facing good competition. You're coached by Nick Saban an NFL, basically defense. And if you can't hack it there at the linebacker position, I worry about you hacking it in the league. And now again, you're betting on the athletic traits and whatnot, and, and there's still time to develop. He's still a young guy, a junior coming out, but those to me, he's been a three-year starter at Alabama and never really improved from a grading perspective. So I always worry about the guys who haven't shown that development because, you know, it's very, everyone has to get better once you get to the league. No one is a finished product coming out. Very few guys in NFL history are. So it's a thing that has to happen. And I haven't seen it yet from him. Okay, one last thing before we leave. I want to give you a chance to say, oh, I, I heard it here first. Late round guy that you just love that's going to go in the late round that I, you know, when somebody drafts him and he plays well, I'll be like, look, Mike told you this was who it was going to be. Who's, who's, who's your late round guy? My guy this year, and I think the Bengals should draft him because he's an offensive lineman. And I think this year, maybe not first round is where they should address offensive line, but they should get a guy who like can play all five positions. If they can get a versatile guy in like the third round, that would be ideal. And to me is wake forest, offensive tackle, Zach Tom, 
Mm-hmm. He's one of the best testing athletes in the class. You watch him against Jermaine Johnson, who's rumored to be going top 10, the Florida edge defender, didn't allow a single pressure against him in that entire game. He is one heck of an athlete, maybe a little undersized for the position, but he cross-trained at guard and center at the Shrine Bowl. I, I just really liked what he put on tape, really think he, think he uses his hands well and isn't going to be everybody's cup of tea because his size is not particularly powerful, but for the Bengals scheme, I think he'd be absolutely perfect in the running game. So that's a guy I'd love to get in, develop, and basically have that swing potential to play all five offensive line positions. There it is. I'm clipping this right now. And I'm going to save it in a file for draft night. We and shall as soon see. As, if, the, if the Bengals pull, pull a Zach Tom pick out, I'm just going to tweet it out immediately and at you so everyone, you can drop the I told you so and make everybody very excited. I love it. <laughs> and then when he sucks, then we suck. So I'll uh, delete it's your the fault. Tweet. It's yeah. your fault. Yeah, yeah. I can I can delete the tweet. It's cool. We'll have an edit button by then, so we'll be good. Perfect. We'll get rid of it all. Uh, Mike, thanks for your time. I really appreciate it as always. And uh, we'll see you. Uh, we'll see you Tuesday uh, wandering around the banks, I imagine. Oh, you definitely will. Thanks for having me on, Paul. All right. Always good to uh, talk to Mike. And too bad he can't get the the producer's cut <laughs> of uh, his incredible one-handed interception back from his season of The Bachelorette instead. Only the touchdown made it, but, you know, it's 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 all right. It's all right. My, we don't know what – we'll never know what Mike would have graded at from that football game. I have never watched The Bachelorette, so I'm, I'm curious. How far did he go? How – Oh, he was a total non-factor. Oh, okay. I mean, no, barely got any. It's it's a joke about how little actual (laughs) airtime Mike got. Uh, But he did have a couple great moments, in particular a great touchdown catch in the football game that they played for Becca's heart. You can never take Uh, that away from him. (laughs) Never take it away. (laughs) He'll always have that. Uh, Always great catching up with Mike. And again, they do such great work at Pro Football Focus. We reference them all the time. What what was something that stood out to you? Jay, uh, from, from that convo. I mean, I, we were surprised at at how few people had this guy going to the Bengals in in the mock drafts that were submitted and just how high he is on Linderbaum calling him perfect for the Bengals scheme. Um, I just, and not just, not just the scheme fit, but I, I love the way that he, you know, he, he talked about, there, there are other guys that they're undersized and they don't play well till late in their career. Linderbaum was undersized and he played well from the get go. And, and he played well in the Big Ten, which is, you know, there are, it's not SEC level defensive linemen, but it's close. And so I don't know. I just, I, it's, it is such a polarizing pick among teams. And, and there are, there are, there are so few teams looking for centers and not every team runs the outside zone it, it it's starting to feel more and more like he will be there at 31 i just i i, I thought it was he, the stuff he said about linderbaum was was really interesting and um i it, if i do another mock draft that, that might be my number one pick for the Bengals. yeah you know the question is i don't know that he's going to make it after that pro day yeah he just had his pro day and not only uh did it check a ton of boxes and put up some really impressive numbers that you would expect from a guy that performed like that. He did it at 302, <laughs> which is he's what would people have been knocking what? His weight, Wait, yep. his strength. Is he big enough? You know, playing it, can he play at 290? Listen to 295. Well, he came in at 302 and put up some absurd athletic profile numbers. That backs up, that makes people a little more comfortable, right? Mm-hmm. And, 
and a guy who can easily put on weight and still put up great numbers. I mean, it's not you know, obviously he could carry it just fine. I mean, he, his pro day, he had the four three eight shuttle. Now we're going to talk a little bit about some of our favorite numbers. Uh, Josh Norris um, does a great job. He does in draft coverage and, and has had this number for a while. And that's particularly when you look at interior offensive linemen, but offensive linemen in general, short shuttles under four or five. And the list of those that have been taken, Jason Kelsey at the top of this list, who performed really well, and that is a comp that has been made for Tyler Linderbaum a lot. This just athletic outside zone mover, get to the second level, latch on guy. So good at what Kelsey's been great at. The ability to move quickly in that five yard box back and forth, you know, side to side, and that lateral movement, that quickness to get to that next level, it has really been a differ- differentiator that we've seen a lot of gems uncovered um, and, you know, a lot of stars kind of cemented in a 4 3 8 on the shuttle at 302. And a guy that plays center is checks that box in an absolute huge way. And so when you when you talk about something like that, you know, that's where you're talking about um a differentiating stat, a differentiating number, and what you wanted to see from Tyler Linderbaum. And I and, and I'm with you, Jay. I, I think we have talked about you get, you know, what are they gonna think about not having a guy who's a super big, powerful man, I don't know. You want to run outside zone or don't you? Hmm. And, and it, <laughs> that's what this guy is going to be great at. And we we know he can hold up well enough to play center. And and like Mike said, this isn't Garrett Bradbury situation. The tape doesn't show that, you know. And you got a certain point. Just say this this dude did it at Iowa. He's one of the best offensive linemen they've ever had. He's a leader. He's a work hard guy. I mean, he's everything you 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 would want. I, I don't think I would be scared off by that because the rest of it's just so good. And you plot them, you pop them in there, and you move Karras over to left guard. And boy, do you feel great about that line. Yeah. You just feel so great about that line. I, you know, I don't know that he's going to make it there because I think this kind of helped put it over the top and maybe ease some people that might have been a little bit on the fence. Yeah, I don't, I don't want to spoil too much of of your conversation with Kent, but I I thought it was really interesting what he said about centers too. You'll you'll get to that in a little bit. And it it kind of goes into the Linderbaum piece. Um one one of the other things that really stuck out from from what Mike talked about with you was when he dropped Paul Alexander's name. Because I, I know a lot of a lot of Bengal fans think that Paul Alexander overstayed his welcome too long here, but, but but the fact of the matter is he coached in the NFL for a long time. So when he says a guy like Bernard Raymond puts coaching into action faster than any offensive lineman he's ever worked with, that's significant. I I, I don't know if you're taking a tackle at 31, it's 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 basically succession plan. I mean, they they they've said they're not moving Jonah Williams. And you're sure not going to move Lael Collins. So, you know, is is Raymond a fit there? Um, I don't know. But I, I that that really stood out to me because I respect Paul's opinion. I've, I've talked to him many times and, in, in, you know, since he's left the Bengals. And if if he vouches for a guy it, that adamantly, I, I think it says a lot about Bernard Raymond. The, yeah, the, the tackle piece is interesting. You know, I think that would be the most that would be a 
you know, people ask a lot of time, what's a surprising thing yeah. that could happen? Maybe that's it. You know, maybe that's it w- would be a tackle and kind of saying, look, we're, we're, we're in on Jonah, but we don't know all the way. And, or, you know, Collins, you're, yeah, you've got him de- down here for multiple years, but, you know, you still, and then the depth of it, mm-hmm. you know, you're going to have to have, so you, are we real? do we really want to be out there with Isaiah Prince in December again? You know, I, I think there's a lot of questions there that, that you could see if it was a best player available type of situation, um, where maybe you see the next level happening there. And maybe it's somebody that has guard flexibility. What it was like last year's refrain. They got to try to maybe take another shot at that. Guard of the day, tackle tomorrow. Maybe that's where they're trying to look again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think that's a, that's a big surprise to me because I think they feel like they might have that in Deontay Smith. Um, and certainly not giving up on Jackson Carmen in a lot of respects. So I, I, it would be surprising to me. I don't think they'll value tackle as highly, but that maybe that's the surprise BPA that could knock people back a little bit. And they've done that before. You know, the Eifert was a big surprise. Never expected a tight end that year. That's it. Wouldn't be totally out of character. The, the one other thing that, cause we joked about this when we were looking at the, the drafts that everyone submitted. And it's like, what's the deal with Zach Tom? Why does everybody love Zach Tom? And maybe that just shows that our listeners uh, are also heavily invested in, in PFF. Cause because Mike loves Zach Tom as a good fit for the Bengals as well. He does. Zach Tom is um has checked a lot of boxes of Twitter happiness. <laughs> uh, you know, he's he has a great RAS score, by the way. He's a great relative athletic score. He's got all the leadership stuff. He's got good PFF, translatable numbers there. He is one of your under the four or five shuttles on the interior offensive lineman he's got versatility could play inside outside so yet people see those numbers and understand the profile and the testing and you say oh yeah zach tom right uh that could be so i think that's why he has showed up a lot too because it, it this is a kind of a is it's a number thing and it's something that we can easily grasp onto and that teams easily grasp onto and maybe he ends up going higher than that uh because of that, I think that's an interesting thought. I want to talk quickly about relative athletic score before we bring in Math Bomb. Um, and so he'll he'll explain it better. But essentially, you're it's a it's a full athletic profile of who a player is given one number one through ten, easy to understand. Perfect tens are super rare; they do happen. Um, and you 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 get a feel of really you're getting an elite athlete for this size. Combo. So Jelani Woods is a perfect example. He'll be referenced in our conversation here. His numbers maybe aren't. You're not running like the fastest ever run by a tight end in the forty, or he doesn't have the fastest, the biggest broad, or whatever. But at six seven two sixty, the combination of all of these numbers being good, great, elite, makes you a perfect ten athlete, freak athlete. Um, it doesn't mean it shows up on tape. It doesn't mean that you're going to be that. But it, you know, when at, there are certain positions where that's particularly good for. I, before we bring in what, him explaining it and us talking about some of the translatable numbers and things like that, I I do want to give you a chance to run through some of the be, some of the the RAS numbers, top RAS numbers from some Bengals in recent years. 
now. Jay, who do you think in the last 10 years would have been the number one RAS player selected by the Bengals? It's a hard, it's a hard one. It's not impossible. And it was certainly the storyline at the time. I'll give you that. It's a, it's a early, early last decade, number one. Who do you who do you think it would be? It was definitely a storyline when he was taken. He was a it was a he was a day two pick. Ooh, a day two pick. Um day two pick. Margus Hunt. Time. Boom! <laughs> there you are. Was definitely a storyline of the time. Yes. This dude is a freak. You are not supposed to be 6'8", 290 pounds, and sh- you know it. International shot putting discus champion. Uh, everything else he was, he was raw. But this dude is a freak. He is like the ultimate relative athletic score pick before it existed. He was a nine point nine three, pretty cl- pretty close to a perfect ten that the Bengals took a flyer on. Did it work out? Eh, not really, but he's kicked around the league for almost 10 years now. He's still grinding out some game checks. Um, he was not he did not live up to those numbers. I'm just gonna run down the top. I'll just I'll just run down the list on my screen right now. These are the top relative athletic score numbers of Bengals picks over the last decade. Margus Hunt, 9.93. Jordan Willis, hmm. um, 9.88. Again, mid-round defensive line with traits, right? Bengals, kind of a Bengals thing over the years. Uh, Jamar Chase, last year, 9.81. That one worked out. Chris Evans, hmm. last year, 9.85, uh, who obviously has some serious traits and started to show him last year. Josh Shaw, Ooh. who's a book in himself, uh, <laughs> um, who didn't quite work out, but he had a lot of the corner numbers you feel like you're getting a steal on in the fourth round for them. Malik Jefferson. You know, you got to have more than just traits. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Awareness, uh, ability to be a football player. Correct first step. important. Yep. Uh, Ronell Wren, Mm -hmm. who they were excited about with traits. And again, injuries kind of washed him out. Jake Fisher. Hmm. I think they felt like they had a home run steal with Fisher. Fisher also on the Josh Norris less than 4.5. Offensive lineman shuttle had the speed. He was big enough. You know, he had this elite athletic profile. And then for any number of reasons, it it just never worked out for him. But I, you know, it's kind of an interesting example of the draft. You never quite know, even when you think you've got every box checked in terms of athletic profile. And he played, you know, at Oregon. It's not always that. It's not always that simple uh, when you get to the league. A few more. Joe Mixon. Mm-hmm. John Ross, obviously everybody knows he had the athletic traits. Joseph Osai, again, mid-round defensive lineman with traits. Uh, uh, Jordan Evans also on the top of my list. A few other, and then next, A.J. Green, Tyler Eifert. So you get down, and then you're down under nine at that point. Uh, So those are kind of the elite prospects they've taken. It's Hits and misses. Reed Fraggle also on this list. I skipped over him. Can't forget Reed. No. Hits and misses. You know, the athletic profiles are 
some of the battle. I think these are helpful numbers. They're helpful to look at guys comparatively over time. Um, it doesn't mean they're always going to hit, but it does show you when you're looking for traits, how to find traits. A, a quick Josh Shaw nugget here. I, for whatever reason, I went through every USFL roster to see how many former Bengals were in the USFL, and, and Josh Shaw was in the USFL. Now, I was not prepared for a Josh Shaw reference, so I don't have that whole list here in front of me, but it was it was interesting. I didn't know what it because I thought he was totally out of football, but I, I see he is kicking around somewhere in the USFL right now. Good for Josh Shaw. It's a check. Uh, <laughs> we, Josh Shaw, uh, all I know is he's in the news for gambling issues. <laughs> You can Google that yourself. And you might want to look uh, at the uh, Bengals-Titans game. In, in <laughs> oh, no, no. Don't accuse him of shaving points now. Don't accuse Josh Shaw of shaving points. But if you, if you're, if you want to know what it would look like if you felt a player was shaving points, you can just look at the end of the Bengals-Titan game. And what year was that? Was it 17 or 18? It was the game Burfitt got, yes. got kicked out of. Yep. The, the, the John Ross uh, gave up on the deep ball. That one, oh, yeah, that was one of John Ross's seventeen plays <laughs> run that year. Yeah, we just quit on it. But ball. Josh Shaw, three fourth quarter penalties. That's that's all you need to hear. All on the last drive. All on third the down drive. All drive extending third. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not. No one is saying that anybody shaved points. But if you wanted to know what it would look like if someone did, that's probably what it would look like. That no one. No one's accusing no anybody. certainly not anything let's let's bounce this topic and bring in <laughs> kent uh very excited to talk to him uh about relative athletic score about traits translatable traits what positions to look for what, what, what have we learned from all this insane knowledge that he has found his background his story at math bomb on twitter i highly recommend follow here is kent lee platty kent what's going on Hello, uh, man i'm happy for the football season we're getting real close to that draft though yeah, uh, I got to tell you, I think I, I, I was just sort of going through as I do every year. You know, you're doing your prep, you're putting your stuff together, you're trying to plot positions and sleepers and things like that. And I was like, I use this so much, and I, I feel like I wanted our listeners to understand the background of it and the uses of it and 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 how much it can translate. And I wanted to learn a little bit about more about how it can translate team specific needs and things like that first of all what's your background so i started out um i went to the the navy right out of high school and i worked in cryptology which is super exciting because i can't talk about most of it and like yeah. i wish it was more exciting like i can't talk about it but it really was fairly boring and yeah um but a after that i got out and I, I bounced around a little bit i actually work in in development now both for pro football network and my my day job is all development i code and and i work with tables and lots and lots of math and numbers um pretty much all the time so um you know people call them spreadsheet junkies and things like that it's it's kind of a toned down way to just see people who are way too happy doing math <laughs> i love it and so you were doing that and then you took an eye on football. When did you kind of take an eye on, you know, these, these numbers, these testing numbers and, and creating relative athletic score? So I've always been a fan of football, but I got really into the draft um, probably around 2009 or 2008. I started getting into the metric stuff in 2013, um, primarily because of guys like Le'Veon Bell. Whenever we would have 
conversations about players like him, they would refer to him as unathletic. And it was because he ran a four, six in his 40. Um, most of his other metrics were great. And as an overall athlete, he was a very good tester, but that, that unathletic thing kept hitting. And it's like, he's not though. Like he's, he's just right. not, you're using the term incorrectly. Um, and I started realizing a lot of that, a lot of terms that people would use that really didn't mean anything, you know, he's quick, but not fast or, Oh, he's so explosive. They sound great, but what do they really mean? How, what, what can we really gain from that information? So I started developing relative athletic scores, which didn't have a name or anything at the time. And it was actually quite terrible in the beginning. Um, (laughs) But the idea was to create a a simpler way of understanding, a way of contextualizing the metrics so that anybody could look at it and just understand at a glance. Is that good? Is that a good, is that a good score? Like if he runs a four, four, six, how bad is that compared to the rest of his peers? Um, the scale is entirely zero to 10, which anybody can understand if zero is never going to be good. 10 is if you're zero to 10, 10 is going to be the good one, right? Pretty easy. Uh, and then everything's color coded on the cards and it's, it's stoplight color coded. So red, yellow, green, very easy to understand. Um, I think it really helps to give fans an understanding of whether or not a player's testing is good because even now we'll still get players that get talked up and they'll, they'll say, Oh yeah, he had a 30, 30 and a half inch vert. And if you don't know, that that's, you know, average or above average or whatever. It doesn't really mean anything to say things, things like that. Um, and since everything's put on a zero to 10 scale, it's, it's easy to understand. Yeah. It takes all of those individual scores, throws them into a, an average, and then it compares the average to every average for every player at that position going all the way back to 1987, and then gives you a final zero to 10 score for a player. What has been, I'll start here. What, what has been, Maybe in particular, what you've seen, the position where you've seen your scores become the most translatable, or is it most positions are, you know, the the best athletes are the best, or have you noticed anything from all of these numbers you've been able to put out that it's that it, man, you, we really seen this create headway in discussion about defensive end or linebacker or whatever. So in general, there's a correlation for every position. And part of that is just that those are the guys that get drafted, right? Those are the guys that are going to get drafted. They're going to get those opportunities in the NFL. In general, that's just how things work. Uh, But it's so pronounced at some positions that it's really hard to ignore. Tight end is the most obvious one. Um, There are no poor testing athletes at tight end who find success in the NFL. It's just not a thing that happens. Um, we've got outliers at every other position. We've got wide receivers like Anquan Bolden, uh, DeAndre Hopkins, um, T. Higgins most recently. Guys like that who didn't test very well, but have found success in the NFL. We've got that for every position except tight end. It, it just doesn't happen at tight end. Tight ends are good to great athletes, and that's it. Um, you mentioned defensive end. Defensive end is, for the defense, one of the easiest ones because that's extremely predictive at, at defensive end. Same thing at cornerback. Um, it, it stood out so much when I started actually digging into the data that it was kind of wild seeing just how much it mattered because you don't really expect it to be that big of a deal. What what was that? I mean, when do you remember that in some of the names that you saw? And, when, and particularly, I'll go to cornerback, I guess, when you said you don't think it'd be that big of a deal. Was there something or, um, you know, were there people there or particular numbers within the relative athletic score that you noticed with, with that position that, that made it seem, wow, I can't, it really is as simple as this and this and this. Yeah. It really depends on type, especially at positions at the skill positions, right? Because 
not every cornerback is the same and the NFL is cyclical. So whenever we have those big, super fast athletic corners, uh, the NFL counters that by starting to draft smaller, shiftier receivers. And then they counter that by getting smaller, shiftier corners. And then they counter that by getting bigger, faster receivers. And it just, it just creates this cycle, um, which is why I didn't think it would matter as much because I figured that in within that you'd have a whole bunch of turnover and churn and, and everything would kind of switch over over time. Um, and at the time we had guys like Josh Norman who didn't test well, who comes up all the time whenever you're talking about guys who didn't test well. Xavier um, Howard, um, Joe Hayden. Uh, but when you actually start to dig into the data, that's not the full story. Like both Hayden and Xavier, Xavier Howard, um, they didn't test very well at the combine, but they tested phenomenally at their pro day, way better than you would normally expect a guy to test at their pro day. Cause there's always, there was a little bit better. Right. Um, but they tested way better when they got to their pro day. So it could have been an injury. It could have just been preparation. There's a lot of things that could have gone into it, but it wasn't really representative of who they were as an athlete. When you see how different it is, most of the time when a guy tests at both the combine and the pro day, there's a little bit of difference, but they're pretty much the same, right? They, they don't suddenly become a great athlete. Yeah. Um, but once I actually started looking at the numbers, you know, there are guys that are outliers, but they also tend to be very few and far between. And what really stands out is because those guys don't get drafted very often and because they don't make it in the NFL very often, they're very notable when they do. People remember those guys when they start to look at testing and they're like, oh, testing doesn't matter because Joe Hayden was good. It, it doesn't matter because this other guy was good. And it's like, yeah, there's like eight other guys who were, you know, elite tier testers that that just for the one him, there's eight other guys who tested really, really well. Um, and that's across pretty much every position, except center. I haven't figured out center. Center's yeah. weird. <laughs> What's wrong with center? What's going on at center? I haven't figured it out yet. I've, I've talked to NFL offensive linemen about it. And, and the general the general idea tends to be that being a successful center is more, you have to rely more on the mental aspect of it, about being able to identify blocking assignments and where people are going to be. That's more important than the actual physical athleticism piece of it. Um, but even that is like, yeah, kind of. So I, I don't have a full grasp on that. One. <laughs> is I mean, in particular, I mean, people always are trying to quantify big guys because their numbers are different and so much of, you know, what you, what you do is you're pulling from explosion and agility in different areas. Cause like you said, people are like, Oh yeah, four, six forty. I now know what kind of an athlete you are when well, that's just so not true. In particular, when you get into some of these other numbers, what are some of the key, you know, aspects of the score with offensive linemen? Uh, when you talk about, you know, it, the explosion and agility, and have you seen, have you seen a lot of connection there in some of the other numbers that maybe is, maybe you've brought some of those a little bit more to light that people were undervaluing. And that's what I hope to do by, by putting this stuff together, because it's, it's all free. Everybody can go up and look at this information. They can, they can try to get whatever they want from it. Um, but you know, there's, there's different types of offensive linemen too, because there's different types of blocking schemes. And the general idea is that zone blockers tend to be smaller, quicker, more agile. Power blockers tend to be bigger, stronger, more explosive. Um, that is, it's kind of true. We we have the, the outliers always throw things off because they, they, they're just so far out there. Um, you're Mitchell Schwartz, uh, Orlando Brown, very different players, both outliers in very different ways from a testing standpoint. Um, but it's really hard when you start to dig into the numbers because there's not the volume just isn't there unless you unless you go through and can, and compile 
every single player who's ever played the game and put them into a list. And I'm not saying I'm doing that, but I'm probably going to be doing stuff like that. Yeah. Because trying to pull the rosters, it's, it's, it's good information to have to see if there is a trend. Sometimes you don't find a trend. Like I mentioned center, you know, sometimes you just don't find a trend, um, which in itself is useful because then you don't have to worry about it. If a guy tests poorly, but he looks great on tape, you can just be like, eh, who cares? <laughs> who cares? He plays, but, but the he rest of center. them pay a lot of attention. I'm glad you mentioned tight end because the one one that has sparked my interest lately, the Bengals are looking for, you know, that freak athlete, probably tight end. And notably, uh, Jelani Woods from Virginia scored the perfect 10. I mean, obviously, that's rare. It had been forever. I mean, something like that. I mean, how much do you feel like this is kind of ex- guys like him are exactly why this tool exists and why you like this tool because he might have just been considered oh yeah another great athlete but then when you really put it together uh you see wow he has a truly unicorn like uh yeah. you know uh, skill set yeah and Johnny Woods is a great example because he isn't as fast as Vernon Davis was he was doesn't have the kind of tape that Kyle Pitts had but neither one of those guys were as big as Jelani Woods is. Jelani Woods is 6'7". I think he was 258. I might be wrong. I don't mm-hmm. remember off the top of my head. Um, but he's huge for a tight end. And guys like that don't run ridiculously fast 40s. And if they do, they don't have ridiculous agility drills. They don't test like that. It's just not how it happens usually. Um, so when you have a guy that does, it really stands out. Because now you're looking at a guy where you can say, size adjusted, this is a ridiculous athletic profile this doesn't make any sense um and on the and on uh, the defensive side of all we have that same thing going with jordan davis who's just insane athletically for a guy his size and it's hard to quantify until you really look at the numbers just how crazy it is and it's fun to go look and say oh yeah you know jelani woods is is faster than such and such he's more explosive than this other guy and that's that's great for one for one comparisons but when you're looking at an overall athletic profile and what you can do in the NFL, guys like that, the question is, what can't you do with them? Like athletically, they can do anything. You just got to teach them to do it and find a way to put that on the football field. And a lot of coaches really eat that stuff up, man. They love it because they they, they believe they can be that guy to tap into that potential. And now they've got a canvas they can paint on. I, I uh, a coach uh, famously told me a long time ago. Uh, yeah, if you're gonna give me a turd, give me the biggest, fastest turd you could possibly find. <laughs> and uh, you know, it's like you know, that's that's just it. Give me the athlete. Let me mold it. I mean, I, I feel like. Do you hear from coaches? Like, do you hear from people within the league? That I, I know, I've talked to coaches uh, who have said that they look at it and, and do you didn't like it for comparisons. Do you hear that? Some, so every team, the actual teams themselves, they all have their own internal metrics. Mm. I know having talked to some people in the league that some of them are very, very similar to what I use. Um, I've never had anybody say, yes, that is the thing that we use, but the systems that they do, um, an example I would give would be the the Packers, um, the Saints, and they've changed GM, so we're not entirely sure going forward, but um, like those, those two teams I know in the past have, their system is so similar that it may as well be the same thing because we're, we're looking at exactly the same types of numbers. Maybe the output's a little bit different, but it's the same type of numbers that we're looking at. Um, teams love this stuff. Scouts love this stuff. Um, agents 
really love this stuff uh, <laughs> because it, it helps them promote their promote their guys. Um, for me, it's it's always about getting the information out there and making it easily accessible for everybody. Being able to compare a player side by side, as simple as that is, there just aren't a lot of tools out there that allow you to do that. And putting something out there that people can use to do pretty much anything they want and then trying to update it every year with even more and more information. Um, that side-by-side -side comparison tool is something we added new this year. I have an intern, Eric. He's fantastic. Um, he put that out there. There's a calculator right on the cards now. So people are like, oh, I had this other number. Um, I'm going to pump, plug that in and see what this, what this score looks like. Um, I've had agents that have used that extensively since we implemented it a month and a half ago who are just like, hey, can you update this guy's numbers to this, this, and this? Because this is this is what the card looks like with this stuff. Because again, they're, they're trying to promote their guys. Right. And, you know, I always use the official metrics, whatever I can get official and verified. But if they have those numbers, they can plug them in and post it. I ain't going to stop them. <laughs> well, that is that is awesome. And this stuff is great. If, if you're uh, not following at Math Bomb, I highly, highly recommend it, especially as you get closer to draft season, uh, because uh, when you start talking about guys that you haven't heard of as much as second, third, fourth, fifth rounds, a lot of them are going to be because of some of the eye popping numbers that are really easy to digest there and, and great for really everything when it comes to the draft world. And uh, I, I love it. And uh, so and I really wanted to have you on so that when people see me consistently reference relative athletic score they will now will have a knowledge of exactly what it is and i don't have to keep explaining it because uh it's so easy to use and it's a, and it's such a fantastic tool so thanks for all your hard work on it man and uh thanks for taking some time to chat with us appreciate it man thanks for having me on all right, great chatting more with Ken and again more stuff on on the linderbaum the center <laughs> centers i don't know yeah you know i don't know uh hard hard to see but i think you know I, I love this conversation. I love the idea of trying to find, you know, it's fine. It's like anything, finding an edge, mm. understanding the edges, understanding the path of players that you can find and, and where it can, where you can get a really good view and understanding what teams are getting and what they should be looking for and what teams are missing on, you know, taking tight ends that don't have certain athletic profiles. It's an, it's a non-starter. Um, and I think all of that is a is a fun conversation. I'd be interesting to hear the interested to hear the the bottom ten Raz scores of Bengals draft picks. If, if you went through them all in the last ten years, I'm sure there's and I think mean, there's probably some really low ones at sixth, seventh round picks. But um, it'd be interesting to know what the, the the lowest Razes were of the people they took early. Would you like to know, Jay? Oh, you already have that. Oh, it's just all I had to do is click one button on <laughs> ras.football and flip it from the good to the bad. Okay. Uh, here are your bottom ones that I have with actual numbers on. An interesting list. Tyler Shelvin. Mm -hmm. uh, 0.86. No surprise. He's not uh, exactly athletic. Not Well, I mean, he is, but he's huge. Yes. I, it's hard to... Paul Dawson, <laughs> who I'm going to guess... Didn't get maybe just didn't show up for his pro day or was <laughs> late under the influence <laughs> while he ran and did his stuff. Or, you know, do they did they count the seconds he was late to show up <laughs> on the line to run the 40 against him? Maybe. Uh Auden Tate, hmm. who we know, mm -hmm. not known as the uh most elite athlete, but just got great hands. Trey Hill, who they took last year, Jeremy Hill. 
I was surprised to see show up on this list, um, who seemed like for his size was a pretty good athlete. But again, you have guys that could be on here for um, incomplete testing numbers, yeah. um, just had a bad pro day. You know, there's there's things like that that happen. Kobe Hamilton, Corey Lindsay, Deshaun Davis, AJ McCarron, not an elite athlete. So there's you know those are some of the numbers that, that some of the people on the very bottom. So here's a surprising, here's another really surprising one. Darius Phillips. Hmm. But again, size, at that small right. size, you've got to have a certain thing. T. Higgins on here as well. Now, when they drafted him, the big thing was, I remember talking to Mike Potts that year in our post-draft about, okay, concerns about the traits, concerned about the numbers. Is he not an elite athlete? I think that's why he dropped. They felt like they were able to dig and get rational explanation for why he didn't test so well. He wasn't so he wasn't fully healthy. And then they got some of the deeper numbers off of his, you know, his tracking stuff from Clemson. And he was they were comfortable that it was just a matter of bad testing. And he plays fast. I think we've seen that be the case mm-hmm. um, for T. Higgins as he's played in the league. And and they're so again testing not everything these numbers are not everything but it is good to compare and see what you're looking at uh, over the course of time yeah i mean can't mentioned it deandre hopkins and anquan bolden both in that in that same boat with t higgins with low raz scores and ended up doing just fine in the league you you said it this is this is just another piece uh of the evaluation it's 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 not the end all but it is really really interesting stuff and correlative and something that's it's easy for everybody to understand the way that Kent lays it out. And important, you know, you can be a contested catch guy. You can be, mm-hmm. you know, Hopkins, Bolden. I mean, we talk about Tate in a different level. Higgins, you know, it's fine. But you don't have to be the greatest athlete in the world if you are great at being savvy at the catch point you have incredible hands you've got wide radius all that stuff. i mean there's different types of receivers that's what makes jamar chase so special i mean he's so tough at the catch point he's so physical at contact and he's a one of the freakiest athletes you've ever seen that's what makes jamar chase jamar chase uh a part of it is you you combining all of those things that's what makes the, the truly special ones special let's dr- knock out some mailbag questions and get out of here jay okay. we're recording this on tuesday it's opening day we've got we got important things to do <laughs> okay um i want to drop in a question some of you didn't understand the assignment but we love everyone jay yeah you know just because it was a mock draft mailbag and you were supposed to send in your mock drafts and you just sent in a draft question doesn't mean we don't still have love <laughs> And it's okay. Maybe it just sparked your question. We don't care. We're all we're all about everyone here. Hugs for everybody. James Abernathy sends in this one. Fast forward to the draft. Bengals take an offensive lineman. Who is it? In other words, the Bengals would be most willing to bypass other needs and draft an offensive lineman if which offensive lineman is still available at 31. What do you think, Jay? Yeah, I think we touched on it earlier. I think it, it would be Linderbaum just based on, on his upside and – as you said, that would make for one hell of a line. You plug that guy in at center, move Karras out to guard, give Jackson Carmen another year to 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 kind of grow into a a professional athlete. I don't know if another a year on the bench would stunt his development or not, but if it, you would at least you really increase the depth and improve the starting lineup. Um, I think if he's the guy that that if if he's there, 
that would be the most likely O-line pick at 31. I would agree. You know, the other thing is if Linderbaum gets nicked, gets hurt, Karras just moves right over, yeah. takes over at center, and your other guy's plates a double. It's a two-for-one. So you can – people knock Linderbaum for his versatility. Oh, he's one position only, center only. Well, guess what? It doesn't matter if you've got an insanely versatile center guard mm. like Karras. It, it offsets that that knock. It doesn't matter that he's center only. It's fine because he's going to be your starting center every time he's healthy and you have a guy that can play guard and then and move over to center if Linderbaum can't play. That makes them a nice one-two combo together. Um, so that's why I'm with you on that. Zion Johnson I would have as number two, and then I'd have, I'd have Kenyon Green after that. You know, you throw in. You mentioned the ta- the tackle wild cards. It's hard to know which of these tackles would slide. Why are they sliding? Why would the Bengals like them? I, you know, I I think it would start with the interior guys, though. I still would think that's where you would find them going, but you you, you never know. Um, here's another one. This came in on a tweet. Um, it wasn't phrased this way, but I'm phrasing it differently. Uh, Richard Baptist sent this tweet in. It was in the conversation with somebody else and mentioned. Six guys here, and wants us basically mentioned them all. So I thought it would be a good chance to rank them, um, because not every, everybody's going to be there. Who some are going to get taken? What does your list look like? Let's rank these six prospects that are kind of most thought to be in the Bengals' wheelhouse, maybe um, at some key positions that would be around thirty-one. The six are. Zion Johnson, Kenyon Green, Tyler Linderbaum, who we just kind of mentioned, Kyer Elam, Andrew Booth, Dax Hill, the versatile cornerback safety hybrid prospect out of Michigan. What do you got? What's your order? I have mine written down. Let's see if we can, we have the same. Yeah, well, going back to the last question, Linderbaum would be my number one. I, I, you going Linderbaum one? Yeah. If if he, I, I I don't think it's a stretch that any of those guys would be there at thirty one. I think Linderbaum, as you mentioned after his pro day, might be the least likely to be there at thirty one. But um, I that I do. I, I think that would be number one. Then I I went Kenyon Green too. I just think he's a better fit than Zion um, for for the Bengals. And I went Booth three because I still think corner is when you're matching need and talent um that that's a, a good fit there and then i had zion for dax hill five i just don't i don't see him going safety first round even though it's that that's be, gonna be a major need very soon um and then elam six uh mainly based on on mike renner's conversation with you about kyrie elam yeah, Elam. Different people have different thoughts on him. I have this him last as well. I have Booth first. I, mm. I would put Booth over Linderbaum, and just I'm just I just still think you do feel like you addressed line last year with prospects, and there's literally an empty hole at corner. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, if you have the roster in front of you, like I do. <laughs> You know, you're looking at it. You've got your three starters. You've got Trey Flowers and Jalen Davis and an empty spot. Okay. The other side has players, players you drafted, players you drafted high, players you really like, um, multiple, and three guys you just signed on that line. Now, granted, that guard spot, what is that? I mean, I, I'm with you. Like, 
we talked about Linderbaum. I'm I'm all about that. But to me, cornerback a premium position. And if Booth was really there, I don't know if he's going to be there. A premium position, one that you have a more of a need for, and I think Booth is a premium player. He's he's checks all your boxes for size, speed, tenacity, all the stuff you like. They have really good connections at Clemson mm-hmm. where I think they'd feel comfortable with whatever the character evaluation was they've heard there. Um, you know, we've seen that as they've leaned with the Higgins and the Carmen pick, feeling like they had comfort with the player, the person. They talked about that after those picks. I would assume they would go to those same contacts with Booth. Does Maybe those contacts would tell you the opposite. I don't know. You won't like this, but I don't think that would be the case. That's my argument for Booth 1. Uh, Linderbaum 2 who I, I'm with you every all the reasons we discussed. Dax Hill three for me. Hmm. I I like playmaker. I like what he will bring you. Anything happens to Mike Hilton, boom. Love it. Nickel. Instinctive playmaking nickel. Anything happens to either of your corner your safeties. Boom. Playmaking safety. The two of them leave. One of them leaves. Boom. Safety. Hmm. Helps you make that decision. And save that money. And maybe, you know, is he more of a Von Bell? Maybe, yeah. I don't, I mean, but that's fine. Maybe Bell leaves, you pay Bates. You see, the money ends up in a good place still. Whatever it is, whatever that solution is, the depth he brings you, the versatility, the playmaking, the leadership. I, I, I think Dax Hill is a sneaky pick, a sneaky player. Again, one you wonder, will he still be around? But I, I have him third. And then I have Zion Johnson, Kenyon Green, and Elam, mm. who I don't I don't like as much at corner. But so kind of going through that, I, I think when that's where they're going to be in the next couple of weeks. Now you're cross comparing. You know, you go from ranking positions to ranking across your board. Not going up and down anymore. We're going across, and that's a big difference. And you start getting into what makes this team better this year. What makes this team better in the next two to three years? And they're different sometimes. We like odds and projections. So, what what odds do you give it that their they, that their pick at thirty one is not one of those six? Ooh, not one of those six. Yeah. Uh, that's a hard one. <laughs> it is. I I, I would say. 64% chance it's one of those. Six. I was going to say 33 it's not, so we're right we're right in the same line. <laughs> <laughs> there's so many guys and there's so many you don't know who's going to slip. Right. You don't know who I mean you just that's really hard. I mean, nobody thought T Higgins was going to be there at 33. No. Nobody you don't that's just it. I mean, especially when you stay put and pick, it's because you didn't think that someone was going to be there. Some slip was going to happen. I mean, I, I mentioned it with Mike Renner. Is there any chance in hell Devontae Wyatt falls all the way down to 31? <laughs> no, there's no way anybody could see that happening. Then look on Pro Football Network on there that people sending us these mock drafts with him at 31. Mm-hmm. You never know. Maybe some people don't like Devontae Wyatt as much for whatever reason, or the run on receivers and quarterbacks overwhelms the draft and he's the slider. You aren't passing that dude up for you know you are sprinting. You are sprinting to the to the podium if people still did that <laughs> you're sprinting to the e-send email button <laughs> you know so 
So I, that's just it. I, I, you never know. So to say, to put actually to put it over, I'm uncomfortable even over fifty percent. But I'll say it because I do think that those are some pretty, pretty strong names, yeah. right there. Um, last one I want to talk about, and we're gonna leave. Uh, which is just more of a comment, which because I liked it and I'm entertained by these things. Shout out Dragonfly Jim, who just says, I like that he starts this email just talking about, like, look, I know I'm not getting a tight end here. So I'm thinking, oh, this is a good serious email. I see our needs as corner depth, safety, D line, O line depth will be based on best available extra picks we have eight i'm like oh, this is, you know what i really like this is going all right yeah you're right i think you got some good things in order here i want to trade three picks our first second and third this year for sauce gardner then go best available and take the punt guy <laughs> i love it i love it dragonfly just go nuts you know what yolo or maybe yodo you only draft once i mean because you're only drafting once if this is what you do yeah uh at least if you did that on mike brown's watch uh but I love it. Sauce Gardner, punt God, call it a day. And then some bit bit pieces on day three. There you go. Mission accomplished, I say. He loves the local angle with Sauce Gardner, but he hates the local angle. He's he's trying to get rid of Kevin Huber before he can become the all-time games played leader of the Bengals. Don't do that to Kay Hubes. Don't do that to Kay Hubes. Love it, Dragonfly. I, I will say... If we're putting odds on that happening, it's it's um negative. Point no, I'll I'll never say never <laughs> that this draft only ends up turning up Sauce Gardner and Punt God. I'll say point zero zero one. I'll just do two zeros. Point zero zero one percent chance that those are the only two players. Plus, I'm sorry, I don't want to really, I don't want to pee pee on the the back day three bits and pieces that also are part of this equation. I don't want to. I don't want to. Poo poo those. But basically, not happening. Punt God and sauce. <laughs> Probably not gonna happen. But I like I like your spirit. I like who you're trying to be. And it's fun. Would that give us more or less to write about if they did something like that and they only made a couple picks? Oh my God. <laughs> so much more. <laughs> I mean, we would have to like we'd have to do we'd have to do stories on like g- general manager psychologists. You know, and like what has what happens if your if your front office all needs to be put into a mental institution, wondering what has changed their stripes so dramatically? Is everyone bipolar now? Like what what is happening? Why is why are they doing the exact opposite of everything they've ever been in life? The Costanza <laughs> effect. The Costanza. They decided to go full Costanza. Uh, well, I hope it happens for our sake then, just for the uh, entertainment value. That's what this is about. It's all about entertainment value. I hope everyone has felt entertained by today's episode. We'll be back next week. Uh, Dane Brugler, uh, the man, the myth, the legend, the beast, uh, will be on to talk about the beast through a Bengals lens. Our new – we have our draft coverage has expanded. It's awesome. We have – so many more people that we have added. One of them is Deontay Lee, who is going to join us, uh, also one of our, our new draft analysts. So I'm dubbing next week, The Call is Coming from Inside the House <laughs> episode uh, as we talk to our people, our draft experts in the lead up to draft weekend, which is ever so close, Jay. We are almost here, and I'm very excited about that. All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and uh, we will talk to you next time on Hear That Podcast Growl. Have a good one, everybody.